Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, we're back, and we're going to quickly go right to the phones. And joining us, one of our favorite contributing groups, of course, is Tightline Outdoors. You hear Nate and Will. And, of course, this gentleman, who's not only a contributor here on the radio, but you saw him down at the International Sportsman's Exposition, Matt Ensley. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. You know, it's a beautiful day out there, and I know you're going to talk about some ice fishing, but I'm going to pick your brain a little bit about open water, too. Um down here, we are going to be 50 degrees this weekend. We're getting a little cool and get a little 50. I think we've got some questionable ice on the front range. You may have some reports that can help us there. But I think there's still going to be tremendous ice fishing up in the mountains. But I think it's also time to start watching the local waters for open water opportunities, don't you? Absolutely. Particularly the smaller ponds. They're going to open up first. The smaller the body of water, the quicker they warm. Now, yet you, before we even get to the fishing, you are a major part of our presentations at the International Sportsman's Exposition, and we asked you to do a couple things. One was uh, the bobber fishing, which I think is just fantastic. I, I think if more people would do that, and we'll, we'll need to talk more. Maybe we'll talk more about that during this segment, too. But, but then you also saw the new uh, edition, the uh, Experts Corner. What did you think of that? Actually, I loved it. Anytime I can uh, get a one-on-one conversation with fishermen and talk fishing, particularly local uh, tactics and baits to use here in Colorado, it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Well, really, was a different, and we'll explain to people. We have the tank, and you do that also, and we have you know maybe I don't know eighty, a hundred seats out there that you can sit, and we can get people standing around it, and you put on a presentation in the tank or right in front of it, and you talk to the group, and you get a a real seminar kind of a a prepared presentation on a topic. On the experts' corner, you guys each signed up for time frames. And you kind of said what your topic would be, but really you were there for one or two or small groups of people to intimately come up and talk fishing, and it didn't have to stay on that topic. So you got this interaction. I think from all the indications I got from the people, too, is they really loved it because it gave them, like you said, a chance to, instead of listening to the seminar, kind of get to the points that they have questions about. Because I think sometimes... As anglers who have been doing this a long time, we sometimes overlook a point or two that they ask us to clarify that you can't do in that big seminar presentation. That's absolutely correct, Terry. You cannot cover all the details on all the baits you're trying to show and describe in the the group session. So the one-on-one at the the table allows us to not only show the bait, but go into the details of why that bait is successful. No, I couldn't agree more. Let's get, I know you first, we're going to talk about ice fishing. Where are you seeing good ice fishing? Well, we are right in the middle of our ice peak season right now. This is ice conditions in January, particularly mid-January, like we're at now, are the best they're going to be all season for the winter. Uh, The mountain lakes are all locked up great conditions on all lakes, whether you're going for lakers or trout, and those would be the the primary uh, species you would target up there. Uh, So they're all good right now. The the laker bite, you know, is a tube bite. And and one other bait you and I have uh, discussed uh, briefly in in other shows is spoons. 
And uh, Lakers love those big flutter spoons. And, you know, they, they resemble a trout, and Lakers do feed on the trout in those bodies of waters. So big six-inch tubes tipped with uh, uh, a uh, sucker meat, piece of sucker meat, nothing big, just enough for a little flavor, and giant spoons. I'm not talking about three or four inches. I'm talking six or larger. Uh, you would have to order these spoons in. Uh, they're used, primarily used in bass fishing. Uh, they came about um, some of these spoons. They call them hubcaps. They're so big, and these work quite well for the Lakers. Uh, the big, trout bites. Big, go ahead. Big pike up in Canada. They use a lot of those uh, flutter spoons casting, and those would work too. In fact, my biggest lake trout uh, that we ever filmed in Colorado came on a spoon. Yes, absolutely. It looks so real to them, and that fluttering action indicates a stressed or dying. Uh, fish that they might feed on and they'll just clobber it and and when you get one of those lakers on they're huge and you know our laker we've got great laker populations grand granby's loaded with them uh williams fork is another great lake jefferson um go out there and try for the lakers but if not go for the trout colorado has some of the best trout fishing in the country for quality you know three to six pound seven pound trout Oh, you're absolutely right. What are some of the lakes where you're seeing the the trout other than the Lakers, and what kind of tactics seem to be successful? Well, the uh, on the trout, you can downsize to smaller presentations, small tubes. I like to use bait, uh, to, uh, ice jigs, small ice jigs, uh, downsize the line. Uh, use a, a, a rod with a wire tip indicator so you can pick up the bites. Remember, the water is freezing. It's it's cold. It's as cold as it's going to be all season. So even trout and lakers are not moving abruptly in the water column because their bait doesn't run around in the water column when that water's that cold. So using a little wire indicator for the trout specifically doesn't work for the lakers because they're so big, but um, it allows you to see those subtle pickups and tip it with a wax worm. That's my favorite bait or a spike. Uh, little tiny uh, jigs and tip it with some kind of bait like that. Now, um, I know a lot of avid ice fishermen will, waxworms you can find at most bait shops. Spikes or maggots are a little tougher. Do you have to, can you find those locally or do you have to order them in? I know on the front range and if there are tackle shops near the bodies of water in the mountain, you might want to get them before you go up there just to make sure you have them. It'll be tough to find a place near some of these remote lakes, but um, you can. Yes, they're they're available locally. Uh, I believe even Bass Pro and Cabela's carries them, uh, as well as your local bait shops here in the metro area, and they'll sell them. You know, twenty-five to five hundred a pack. Uh, load up, and you'll have plenty of bait. And those trout love those waxworms and spikes. They well, clob it. And I agree with you that sometimes there is no substitute for live bait. And I've been there. Um, but I take, you know, and, and if you don't have live bait, you're not going to catch them. But I take less and less live bait with me anymore. I've really become a fan of the small jars of gulp from Berkeley. And you and I have talked about this before. And, you know, you've got to sometimes give it a little bit of motion itself, but they give off such great scent. Have you had as much luck as we've talked in the past with those? Some of the biggest fish that we have caught through the ice have come on Berkeley's uh, products, whether it be Gulp or the Power Bait product, uh, a little tube bait uh, that Berkeley sells called the Mini Mite. Uh, it has a little tail sticking out the back. is an excellent bait for giant trout. Uh, we caught them up to ten pounds, like at uh, William uh, Wellington, excuse me, 
uh, through the ice using that bait. And then uh, some of the little grubs, and one that I've really fallen in love with the last couple of years, I used to use a lot of the little um, maggots and waxies from the gulp jars, but the ones, yep. they're kind of a red extruded nightcrawler, but they're very thin, and uh, the name of them, I think, is a mini nightcrawler, but they're, 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 they're about maybe an inch and a half, a two inch, an inch and a half long, but they're skinny, but they look just like a bloodworm, and boy, have I had luck not only on trout, but on panfish with that. Absolutely. In the winter months, and particularly as we move to the open water season, there are bloodworms that come out of the, the bottom of the lake, out of the mud. And that bait that you're describing there from Berkeley matches that perfectly. And they, you can get on a real good bite using those bloodworms. Let's move on from the ice fishing for just a minute because I don't think we're very far away from starting to see open water availability as far as fishing here in Colorado. I think that we may see a little bit of more of some of the little bays that people, you know, people are venturing out on the front range. And I think uh, I'd be a little hesitant to recommend anybody because it's very difficult to assess the ice conditions at this time of the year because it can get so mushy and you can have so much bad ice. You can get a little snow on top of it. It's very difficult. So I'd be incredibly cautious. But we're going to see ice and, like you mentioned, small ponds that it's going to start opening up. And we're going to see the ice receding from shore on some of the bigger lakes, even like Cherry Creek, Chatfield, Aurora, and some of those. And when that ice starts receding and those ponds open up, um, there can be incredible early spring fishing. Absolutely. The ponds all along the Platte River, uh, from the below Chatfield Dam all the way to the north of town, are excellent uh, bodies of water for both. A lot of people don't realize this, but walleye, because they come out of Chatfield, they get in the Platte, and they migrate down, and in high water situations, they flood out into some of those ponds. And some of those ponds are just loaded with walleye and big walleye because they they get no pressure. Obviously, the ponds are also warm water uh, bodies, and you can go after smallmouth would be the first bite uh, that will occur. And those ponds open up no later than February. So we're halfway through January, and there'll be open water in many of those ponds, the ones closest to the plant, obviously, you know, open first. Another opportunity, and I think it's going to be really excellent on the Front Range this year, is that in the fall, Parks and Wildlife stocks the, a lot of the Front Range lakes and ponds pretty heavily with trout. You can find out which ones by just going to the stocking report and going back to fall. And typically, because the catch rate is so high during the winter, it's actually double uh, the catch rate in the open water, that a lot of those trout get harassed and caught. But we had very marginal ice this year, and we didn't get anywhere near the front-range angling pressure we normally have. I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of fall holdover fish that have grown some, and even holdover fish from past in a lot of these lakes, whereas the ice recedes, those trout are going to move to shore, even if there's a huge part of the lake still frozen, I think there could be a very unique and even more uh, special opportunity this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved uh, fishing Aurora in the fall, and the ice conditions at Aurora have been poor this uh, this winter, so those fish are still in there. You can catch them once the water opens up. You can catch them on uh, Castmasters, uh, uh, Tasmanian Devils, anything trolled. 
uh, pop gear with a you know hook and a night crawler. They are very aggressive. Well, and and like you said, and they haven't been harassed much this year because they haven't. There hasn't been good ice. Another presentation that I want to make sure we mention is one you covered at the. Uh, ISE show, and that's floats, is this ice recedes, and you get pockets of open water, you know, around the shorelines and stuff, a slip bobber or even a clip-on bobber with an ice fishing jig while that water's still cold, tipped with the very same things you mentioned for ice fishing, can be just deadly. Deadly on the trout and also panfish, because as that water, um, the ice recedes off the water, the panfish are moving into the warmest water in the lake and that warmest water is right up against the bank that's where it warms first so they'll make moves in during the feeding uh, low light periods of morning and evening and uh, and cloudy days and the slip float allows you to suspend your little jig or your tube and tip it with if allowed with uh, bait or even power bait um, uh, wax worms that you mentioned they make a uh, power bait uh, wax worm and a gulp no, you're absolutely right. It can be just phenomenal. I think we're headed into uh, there's still going to be a lot of good ice fishing this year if you want to drive up in the mountains. But I think those of you getting the bug to start open water fishing, uh, don't be afraid to start looking for open water and ponds and shorelines. And I'm sure you guys aren't going to be that far away from guiding here in the Front Range either. And they can get a hold of you guys at Tight Line Outdoors. But before I let you go... If you could, one ice fishing trip and maybe an upcoming open water, even shore or on a boat, what, where would be a couple places you'd go fishing in the next short period of time? Well, if it's ice fishing, I highly recommend the Laker trips, particularly at Williams Fork. Uh, catching a you know 20 to 30 pound fish through the ice is an experience of a lifetime. It, it should be on everyone's bucket list. It, open water right at the present time, uh, is probably Pueblo. Um, I, we're not doing any open water trips at present, but within the next 30 days, we will be. And uh, Pueblo will be one of the first ones that's completely open. And we'll be watching uh, Cherry Creek. That's another shallow uh, body of water, and hopefully it'll open soon. But the, the Metro Lakes have an opening date of March 1st, so we can't really get out on those until they open the bodies of water. Right, but I would think that if that water goes off soon, there may be some spawning walleyes near shore very soon. Absolutely. Or and pre-spawn. Best, right, and the best bait for early pre-spawn uh, walleye is a jerk bait off the dam. They'll be staging out there. They might be deep, but they'll come up in the low-light periods, throw a jerk bait, and they will hammer it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts when they take it. It's a good, strong bite. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, thanks for what you did at the International Sportsmen's. Thank you for your feedback, but thanks for joining us today. And if people want to get a hold of you in the group, just tightlineoutdoors.com and tightlineoutdoors on Facebook, right? That's correct, Terry, and I love uh, doing the seminars. It's a lot of fun. All right, love having you. Matt Inslee, thank you, Matt. You're thank listening you. to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Mile High Fishing Magazine is Eric Ali. Good morning, Eric. Uh, good morning, Terry. How's it going? Going well. What a beautiful day out, huh? Isn't it gorgeous? Yeah, can't beat it. Can't beat it. And I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drag some fishing tips out of you later, but... Uh, Beautiful weather, great day to be out. If I was going ice fishing, I'd drive in the mountains, and if I wasn't, I think I'd look for a spot of open water. But we'll talk more about that later. First of all, 
we've had a lot of the guests today comment on how much they love the new Experts Corner at the International Sportsman's Exposition. And some thanks goes to Mile High Fishing Magazine because you guys actually sponsored that. And what a great uh, venue it turned out to be. Oh, for sure. The the concept that you guys came up with, uh, with having an expert there that's, you know, sitting and waiting for somebody to come talk to him, ask him questions, the approachability of the Experts Corner and you know, one of the cool things uh, that I do with the magazine is I ran a camera all throughout the show and seeing all the different familiar faces in the experts' corner, watching them talk fishing with kids, adults. I didn't see any break in the experts' corner. There were there was always people there talking to the experts, and I, I think it was a huge hit. Well, and like you said, it was a who's who in fishing around here, including nationally with Brent Chapman from uh, Bass Tour joining us. So what a lineup we had, too. Yeah, it's it's just so awesome to see the the fishing community on display, um, you know, at the tank and at the experts' corner. The biggest thing for ISE, I I don't know how somebody can just go for one day. You know, the the talent that you have lined up and the generosity of everybody that's there. I mean, ISE for me, if I wasn't working it, it, it'd be a three four day thing I would want to attend because I wouldn't want to miss a some of the seminars and b a chance to talk to these anglers at the experts' corner. No, it was great, and hopefully we'll get more and more people. We had a great turnout, and hopefully it'll just keep some of the new things we try will keep growing. And speaking of the magazine, along with your tasks for the magazine, you were down at the Wildlife Caucus here just earlier this week, and a few subjects came in, up in that that I know you want to address. And one of those is we're going to be going through a lot of changes at mm-hmm. Parks and Wildlife. Uh, if people don't know, well, you know, Bob Broshai, the a long-time director now over the last few years, is moving on, and that happens a lot when you get an administrative change of government. And mm. uh, and personally, I'm going to miss Bob. First of all, if people listen to the show know that I had a very close relationship with Bob, and a lot of that was whether you liked him or not, he was incredibly transparent. He would come on this show and address the issues and take the questions, mm. which gave us input into... Um, into what was going on at Parks and Wildlife. And he's a little concerned about that as he's leaving, isn't he? Yeah, you know, Director Brushide, he gave a speech that was, uh, I mean, it was awesome. He, he he said a lot of things, but the, the thing that stuck out the most to me that I hope we can we can figure out in the, in the outdoor communities is, you know, commonalities we have 90%. We have 90% of the things that we absolutely love, adore, want to protect, we have in common. But we have these little differences that might be about 10% that's keeping us from working together. And the way that Director Broshide worded it was just, it, it was absolutely perfect. And I hope that uh, we can figure out that 10% or ignore that 10%, 10% because we do have a lot of hurdles coming down. And uh, if we're all working together, we can get over those hurdles a lot easier than if we're bickering over the 10% that we may disagree on. Right. Now, you sent me a sound soundbite from the Wildlife Caucus mm-hmm. and talked about it and pretty much what he was saying. I, I can paraphrase it in what I've kind of, uh, my mantra has been over the many, many decades that I've been doing outdoor media. And one is that, you know, there's always personal agendas. The Walleye Club wants more walleyes. Trout Unlimited sure. has their agenda. Uh, the the duck, Ducks Unlimited has their agenda. And like you said, 90% of that agenda is the same, but we always want to tilt it a little bit towards where our activity lies, where our allegiance lies. And that's fine. When I hear people talk about conservation and green movements, I say welcome aboard because we've been doing it since somebody 
pulled back an arrow on a bull and, and harvested the first animal in North America because we wanted another one to feed the family and to make that heritage go on. And now for our youth and for posterity. And so we have more in common than we have in difference, I think, was what he was really getting at. We can't let those little things. Politics are changing. They're very polarized in this country. And whatever side you fall on, you have to realize that there's still a middle road that's very common. Let's not get the middle road done because we're polarized on the outside. And and to do that, whether it is any of those groups I made or your magazine or my mm-hmm. radio show or some of the guides and guests that appear on this show or, or the vendors and the manufacturers, we all have to understand how we're going to move this ahead. Maintain access is number one. Mm-hmm. We have to maintain access and then conserve what we have. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it, it, all the different groups that we have, whether you're, you know, you're a walleye fisherman, a bow hunter, uh, it doesn't matter. You can insert anything before hunting and fishing or anything outdoors. One thing that we all agree on is we want to grow the sport. You know, we want kids to get into hunting and fishing. And without access, the number of kids that are going to be exposed to hunting and fishing, it's just going to go down. So if we focus on that, you know, and, and throughout the whole caucus, I'm sitting next to, you know, my friend and yours, Sam Heckman. And, uh, you know, Sammy puts all of his eggs into making sure the youth is active in the outdoors. And if we focus on that, all the other stuff that we bicker about, I think it'll take a back seat because, again, it's all based on access. The more access that we have, that our children have, the more likely they are to put down the video games and get into the outdoors. Now, I want to move on because I want to cover a couple other things. But if people want more information about what happened at the caucus— I know you're getting ready to start putting out actual editions of the magazine, um, but uh, right now you're still doing more online focus just to get, um, uh, like Facebook, to get information out. Will you be posting some of this? Yeah, I I will. And we we were actually, we were getting ready to release our first issue uh, in the beginning of February, but with the metro area ice conditions, I I don't want to put out a lot of content that we're not going to be able to use. So, we're thinking for the actual issue, we're looking closer towards March now, late February, early March. But uh, as far as the caucus is concerned, I'm going to write a blog up tonight. It'll be up later tonight. And then uh, probably some more content concerning it on Monday. And then any CPW meeting, uh, any caucus type meeting I attend, I've attended for a long time. And I'll always put that stuff up on our social media stuff. And that would be at Mile High Fishing Magazine at Facebook. Is that where you find it? Yes, sir. All right, so let's, and other content, of course, the content, everybody's interested in what's going on and what the rule changes are and regulations and conservation, but they're also interested in getting out and catching fish and and doing things like that. So I assume you're going to have a lot of how-to, where-to content in the magazine. Yeah, we're going to have how-to, where-to. We're going to have, you know, youth fishing pictures. Uh, The goal with social media for Mile High Fishing Magazine is not only to have informative content, we want to put a smile on your face, and when you see this content, we want you to go fishing, right? So uh, it's going to be how to, where to, but there's going to be a bunch of stuff that's just going to put a smile on your face, and you're going to be looking at the clock at work, waiting until, you know, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, so you can get out and you can hit the water when the days get a little bit longer. Now, we only have a couple minutes left, and it's going to be warm in the next couple of days. It's going to cool down a little bit, and then it's going to get real warm again. So if you were looking out over the next couple of weeks, where would you be planning on going fishing? And I know you're a kayak guy, and that's going to play into it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, if, if you're driving around town, you, you see water. It's 
there's open water all over. And I, so I'm itching to get, get out in the kayak. And what I do is I, you know, I basically ice fish for my kayak the first two or three weeks of open water. So I utilize my Lowrance. I'll, I'll use small tungsten jigs. Where it's permitted, I'll tip them with a wax worm. But when you get on top of a school of, you know, crappie, perch, bluegill, uh, you can really, really catch a ton of fish in short order because as soon as that ice comes off, if you can find them and you're on top of them, uh, they just hit stuff with reckless abandonment. And and I think we're going to get boats from shore and kayaks because you can't get boats on the front range till usually mm-hmm. into March. But you can put hand launch like kayaks and you can uh, fish from shore. Ice fishing conditions weren't stellar, to say the least, on the front range. These fish haven't been harassed. We were talking about this with Matt Ensley just the uh, last segment. I think a lot of these fish are going to be anxious to respond, and the early open water, even if it's not totally open, is going to be some of the best fishing of the spring. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, it, it, if you see open water and you can get on it, you know, the, the, especially trout-related stuff, they're going to be cruising the shorelines looking for a meal, and, uh, you know, if, if you're a fly fisherman, there's opportunities for you. If you're a spin fisherman, there's opportunities for you. And then I know a bunch of my buddies who are bass buddies are going to be out there with, you know, blade baits and lipless cranks trying to get reaction strikes. So open water's right around the corner. I know a lot of the, the diehard ice fans are, are a little disappointed with the season we had on the front range, but I think we'll be rewarded with an early uh, ice off that uh, I think the bite's going to be phenomenal. Eric, we got to run, but Mile High Sports Magazine, just Google it and look it up online, best way. Yeah, Mile High Fishing Magazine. You know, I'm sorry, I said Mile. Yeah, uh, no worries. Uh, the site's going to be up soon. It's just, it, you know, Terry, it's snowballed so quick, and everybody's so excited with it. Uh, I'm playing catch up a little bit right now, but we'll have the issue out. And right now, at Facebook, Instagram, we're putting out a ton of content. It's familiar faces that you know that everybody knows, and then we got some new folks: Jeremy Cassidy, Connor Foy, Jason Duong. Uh, really, really excited about it, and I'd love for everybody to check us out. All right, my friend, we'll have you on again. We'll get get that kayak out, catch some fish, and let us know where. Awesome. Thanks, Terry. I appreciate it. You bet. Eric Lee from Mile High Fishing Magazine. Should be a great, great resource for fishermen in Colorado. We're going to take a time out. We come back. Bernie Keefe's going to join us, and we'll talk about that ice fishing for lake trout up in the mountains right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones because I'm running behind and I want to get plenty of information out of this gentleman because he's always a wealth of outdoor opportunities. Mr. Bernie Keefe, good morning, Bernie. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing real well. A couple things. I want to cover a couple different things with you, but I understand you're down at the boat show. I'm down at the boat show with Colorado Boat Center, repping the Crestliner boats. Come on down, take a look at us. We got a good lineup of them this year. Well, we've always, you know, I've always loved Crestliner boats, so you won't hear me complain about that. Bernie, um, people down on the Front Range are losing a little interest in ice fishing because we're almost looking at open water, but that certainly isn't going to be the case up where you guide, is it? No, we had. I measured it the other day. Everywhere I fished, we had 11 inches of ice. I'm seeing ATVs. I'm seeing snowmobiles. Now, we did get about eight inches of snow yesterday, so that might make the lake a little slushy for ATVs. Um, I don't know. So if you're going up there, just be careful. Snowmobiles are getting around real easy. There's a big pressure ridge out there. Pick your way around it. Fishing is really good, though. You can catch um, the numbers bite is really good if you're just going to catch fish. That's tremendous. 
the big fish bite, you got to work for it, but they're there. You just got to move around until you find that aggressive group. And the rainbows are along the shoreline, and that fishing's really, really good along with an occasional brown. Let's talk a little bit, and we'll get an update from a couple of the other lakes too. But let's, when you talk about numbers bite, are you talking those 16 to 20 inch fish? Yeah, yeah, 16. There's like 16 to 21, 22, something like that. We're trying to keep the harvest under 19. Um, plenty of those in the lake. Pick on those. If you let the 20s go, we might get 30s out of them somewhere down the line. Uh, they've been stocking so many fingerling rainbows in the lake that the fish are in really good shape right now. It is, they're just good, healthy Lake Granby Lake trout right now. you got plenty of trout to eat, huh? And so when you're catching those numbers, fish, um, what, where are you kind of uh, finding them and what kind of presentations? Well, we're finding them off a lot of the points, um, and in water, say like 50 to 70 feet deep. Presentations using little tube jigs, um, sucker meat, twister tails. One of the, the DNA bio bait has been really good to us lately. Um, Three-eighths ounce to half-ounce lead heads, a piece of sucker meat on it, no wider than the tube, no longer than the tail. And then if, they, if you're not seeing them, just kind of fish near the bottom. And if you are seeing them, if you're seeing them suspended, bring that jig up to them. Now they're hitting it when they see them. And then on the bigger fish, you said it hasn't been quite as many, but there's been a good number of them. What size big fish, when you do find them, get them to go, are they, Bernie? Uh, We got a 39 last week. We got a 37, uh, 34. We got some real good fish. Those are all inches. But we got some real good fish. You just got to work hard for them. And any type of presentation that seems to work, or is it let them tell you? You, you got to let them tell you because every group of fish you get into has a different attitude. And you just got to figure it out. Some of them are looking down. Some of them are looking up. Um, it's it's kind of you just got to figure it out what they want to do. And the big fish game is, is, is kind of a move around, find the spots, and uh, and find the fish. It's a hunting game, isn't it? Oh, it's a big time. You know, I, I equated it the other day to some people. It's kind of like trophy elk hunting. You get you gotta you gotta move around. You gotta if you get that opportunity, you gotta be right with it because you're not going to get a lot of opportunities most days. What else? And you said the trout. Uh, how shallow are you finding those rainbows? And is it all day or early? It's early. It's until about nine o'clock in the morning, and it's like say three to ten feet. And, you know, fish the points, fish the backs of the bays, um, fish the rock and mud transitions. All those areas there seem to be holding quite a few fish. And any size are mostly just holdovers or, you know, 10, 12? What are you seeing? Yeah, they're holdovers. They're 10 to, 10 to 14 inches. If you get something 15, 16, you got a good one out of Granby. But it sounds like it's the number. Known as a big, oh, the numbers, the numbers bite is really good. You can go in there and sight fish and have a ball with those 10 to 12 inches. What else is going on in the lakes around you? Well, Wolford has a good kokanee bite right now and a good rainbow. Williams Fork has a great lake trout bite going on right now, and the rainbows are a little more difficult, but they're bigger down there. Grand Lake, the rainbow and the lake trout bite are both phenomenal. Willow Creek, the rainbow and the kokanee bite is real good. And there's some um, brookies being caught up in Monarch, but the slush is becoming a big problem up there. Before I let you go, you mentioned kokanee at Wolford and a couple other lakes. Earlier in the show, we had Parks and Wildlife on, and there's some major concern because of the number of infected fish at Blue Mesa with gill lice 
because the water level has been so low and the fish have been concentrated and then the gill lice survive just a little longer in warm weather and are warmer water and able to attach to other fish. And they went through what they think is causing the increase. But you've been concerned about gill lice for a long time. In fact, didn't you write a letter, an article about it recently? I wrote an I wrote an article about it, and it's on my website under the blogs under fishingwithbernie.com. And there's a whole bunch of contact and a whole bunch of information on that article. I, I would encourage everybody to look at it and copy and paste all the email addresses I have on there and send every send send the division, send the fish health board, send everybody an email stating they need to make the transportation of gill lice illegal and they need to inspect those fish before they go out statewide, state and private hatcheries both. And that that should help slow or stop the the whole problem of gill lice over over time. We have them bad in the lakes. We have them. They don't know how they're going to get rid of them, but we don't need to let it get worse and worse. We only have a few good kokanee lakes left in the state. And where would I find that article? Go to fishingwithbernie.com and look under my blog. All right. And, you know, people wonder, well, Bernie, he might fish for kokanee once in a while, but why does he care so much? But it affects the trout. But, boy, if we lose the kokanee and trout populations, we're going to quit growing those big lake trout. Well, and it's not only that, Terry. I grew up fishing Green Mountain. Uh, every weekend, that's where we would go fish, and we'd go trolling for kokanee. One of the reasons I really enjoyed fishing in general in the mountains was because it was as a young kid, we could go up and catch kokanee. I could go fishing, and we could always catch kokanee. In the spring, winter, fall, at summer, it didn't matter. We could always catch kokanee, and you knew when you were going fishing up there, you were going to catch fish. And so that's what really started bothering me on it. And then as being a lake trout guide, yeah, we're going to lose our big fish if we lose a lake trout, or if we lose a kokanee. Well, you're not going to have your 40, 50-pound fish swimming around in some of these reservoirs that you have. So it is, it is a very big deal. And so I'm just really encouraging people, write a letter, just say, hey, stop the transportation of these things. That's all we got to do. All right, Bernie, I am out of time, but Fishing with Bernie. By the way, Fishing with Bernie, book guide trips about all the fishing he talked about, too. Uh, we will get you on again very soon. We keep appraised. There's going to be good ice fishing up where you are probably till April. And so um, take advantage of it. Bernie, thank you for joining us. Have a great boat show. Hey, thank you, Terry. You guys have a great day. See you. Uh, you are bet. Bernie Keefe, and he's right about these kokanee. We need to... We haven't got many waters left that aren't infected with gill lice. Let's keep them out. You're listening to Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Before we go to the phones here real quickly, we did have a call off the air. Somebody looking, asking questions about flies to use on the um, South Platte River. I assume he means this time of the year. Um, first of all, I'm going to tell you, if you go to a video that's on my um, my uh, YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we do fish that in the summer months, and we have a great video there using uh, indicators and some fly combinations for later. Right now, if I was fishing it, I'd probably be looking at midges, but we're going to start getting some other hatches, 
and I, I'm never afraid to try a streamer this time of the year and irritate a few fish that might be thinking about moving up to spawn even this time of the year as the water warms. But all we can cover right now, but we are going to have more fly fishing on in the next couple weeks. And if you're looking for information on the South Platte in particular, I'd get a hold of the folks at the Blue Quill Angler. They cover that river extensively. Let's go right to the phones. And speaking of covering water, uh, Ronnie Castiglione is with us. And at the ISE show, he talked about the importance of covering water, especially in lakes maybe you're not familiar with or don't know what the fish are doing. And, Ronnie, it can really be a game changer, can't it? It really can, Terry, and it's an important skill set that, uh, you know, especially new anglers need to need to develop. And, you know, it's not just for the guy that's fishing from a boat, Terry. You know, covering water is very important if you're, if you're fishing from the shore or maybe you're fishing one of these gravel quarry ponds or something like that or, or you're working the shoreline up at Carter for walleyes early in the year or, or you're getting out and you're fishing the rivers for trout, you know. Staying mobile, covering water is one of the most important skills, and it, it can really make the difference between having a good day and a, and a really great day, Terry. Well, you're absolutely right, because a lot of times now as a guide, you may be on a body of water, and you may be kind of following the fish movements and knowing what they're doing, so it gives you a better starting point. I might have been traveling to Florida or Alaska, and all of a sudden I want to fish horse tooth. I don't know exactly what the fish are doing or buoyed, so if I cover some water, maybe I can establish something and then find tune it. But even you guys, sometimes a weather condition or a a forage change makes it that you have to cover water to figure it out. You really do, Terry. And what I I tell people all the time is, you know, by covering the water, what I'm really trying to do is I'm looking to establish a pattern. So I'm looking to figure out, you know, what kind of structure, what kind of cover maybe these fish are holding on, what depth the fish are at, you know, how active they are, what kind of presentations they're looking for. Once I've established that pattern, Terry, then covering water becomes about running that pattern a lot of times. So it's not necessarily just for searching out and trying to locate the fish, but sometimes you figure out a pattern, you know, you kind to figure out the deal and it's about running around a, a body of water and just fishing that isolated stuff that that kind of falls into that pattern that you've established terry so it's an important skill set it's a, it's an important thing for people to learn and really seasonally you know once you get more experience once you've spent lots of time out on these bodies of water fishing terry then then you kind of seasonally develop these patterns that work through particular times of year and then you can get out there and you can cover a lot of water and just kind of run those patterns terry i expect we're going to start Start seeing open water on the front range here very shortly in a couple of weeks. Maybe not all the big lakes open, but the small ponds. But the big lakes, like Horsetooth especially, are going to have open water areas, and Cherry Creek won't be far behind. How do you approach coming up these next few weeks as that water opens up from shore? Let's take that first. Well, you know, from shore, Terry, there's some key things that I'd, I'd like people to understand. One of the biggest ones is to stay mobile when you're fishing from shore, Terry. So what that means to me is, is, is you know, having tackle and soft-sided tackle backs or, or backpacks or, or something along those lines. So you're not carrying an old-school hard-sided tackle box with you. Ideally for me, Terry, if I'm fishing from shore, I don't want to ever be really putting things down on the ground because whenever you set something down and let's say, you know, you're fishing the bank and you walk a couple hundred feet away and you're fishing the bank, 
Now you got to turn around and you got to go back to where you set stuff down and pick stuff back up and move it. And I think, you know, ice fishing is kind of the same, Terry. You know, when people set up the tents and spike them in and they get out there and they get all situated and they basically set up camp out there, they have a tendency not to move around because they're not staying mobile a lot of times. So fishing from shore, you want to stay mobile. You want to travel light. You don't want to take a whole bunch of rods with you, but maybe one or two rods that are kind of multi-purpose rods. And then, you, you know, early in the year, Terry, it's definitely about covering water because what you'll find early in the year once the ice comes off is that a lot of times there's a lot of dead water out there, Terry. There's, there's, there's big, long stretches of areas that won't have any active fishing at all. And then you'll find one little pod, one little area, one little school of fish that are located on a particular hump or a particular point or something along those lines. So getting out there and covering a lot of water and trying to, trying to eliminate the dead water and trying to understand which sections are going to be active, that's important from shore, Terry. Now, now some of the presentations that I'm going to utilize early in the year to cover water, Terry, a lot of times it's definitely going to be the, you know, the hook and line kind of presentations, the things that you can get out there and, and you're going to, you're going to make a lot of casts with them and you're going to basically reel them in with maybe some sort of action imparted. So real early in the year, if I'm looking to cover a lot of water, Terry, it's really hard to beat a lipless crankbait in a lot of scenarios, especially from shore, Terry, because that's the kind of presentation that I can cover the entire water column with. I can fish it shallow. I can fish it deep. I can fish it everywhere in between. A lot of times, really early in the year with those lipless crankbaits, we're, we're throwing them out there and we're allowing them to fall and we're ripping them up and then allowing them to fall. So we're yo-yoing those, those lipless cranks. Those are really a very, very good way to cover the entire water column and to cover a lot of water. And then, of course, a jerkbait is an excellent way to cover a lot of water. Now, early in the year, Terry, a lot of times with a jerk baits, however, you end up kind of fishing them real slow, so it may not be the best way to cover large stretches of water, but once you've kind of locked into maybe, you know, I'm looking at points, I'm looking at steep transitions, things like that, then a jerkbait's an excellent way to trigger those strikes early in the year and cover some water, Terry. Let, now, let's keep going from shore. I think we can get back to the boat thing. The boat ramp's going to open here in maybe a little over a month, but I think concentrating on shore. So you've located those fish if they're if as long as they're hitting that cover water bait, you keep doing it, or do you really want to slow down when you locate some and change your presentation? Yeah, I definitely going to work through a rotation, Terry. So, you know, uh, over the years, I kind of established, you know, what presentations I like for certain times of the year. And then I'm going to try to work through those rotations, especially when I get to come to some of those those key areas on the lakes, Terry. So some of the points, some of the transitions are really, really important, Terry. When I come to those key areas, then then I'll definitely try to work through a rotation. So let's say they're, they're, they're biting a the jerk bait, but they've kind of let up on it, and then maybe I'll go to the lipless crank. Maybe I'll pick up a blade bait in that scenario as well, Terry, and try ripping that thing. Maybe I'll try a spoon real early in the year, something like that. The other presentation that I utilize a lot of the times early in the year, Terry, is a tube jig, but I'm not going to be dragging the tube jig like I'll do in the middle of summer to catch fish. Really early in the year, Terry, a lot of times I'm, I'm really stroking and ripping that tube jig really, really hard off the bottom. Ripping that thing five, six, seven feet off the bottom and allowing it to fall and glide and kind of pendulum and spin on semi-slack lines. So I'll work through rotations, Terry. I'll pay attention to the key things. And, you know, I mentioned transitions, Terry, and real, real early in the year, I think transitions are one of the best things that a person can focus on. 
Um, when I talk about transitions, Terry, so that the listeners understand, we're looking at areas where maybe dirt turns into gravel and you've got kind of a line there so you have a transition or or maybe that gravel transitions into a little bit more chunky broken rock something like that maybe you have kind of a a, a rounded off bank that turns into a steep bluff areas like that where you have a transition where you have a change in depth where you have a change of body or or bottom content like that terry those are key really early in the years because you know a lot of times let's say you're looking at the gravel to rock transition where it's changing from gravel to the chunk rock well, maybe the fish are on the gravel that day, or maybe they're particularly on that trunk rock, or maybe they're right there on that transition. If you focus on those transitions, then in a real small area, Terry, you can cover multiple types of structure right there without having to walk a whole heck of a lot. So, you know, you can really dial it in by focusing on those transitions. It'll narrow it down. It makes the lake a lot smaller, and then you kind of go from there, Terry. All right. Well, we are out of time, Ronnie, but great stuff, and thank you for joining us. We will talk to you again in a couple weeks, and thanks for all you did at ISE, too. Sounds good, Terry. I had a blast down there, and I'm looking forward to next year. All right. Thanks, Ronnie. Ronnie Castellano right, with, with Fishful Thinker. You can find him on the Fishful Thinker group, fishfulthinker.com, and Fishful Thinker at Facebook. One of the things I want to mention, you know, we talked about subtle presentations earlier. Ronnie was using aggressive presentations to cover water. Sometimes that's the best. You just by instead of trying to get neutral fish to bite, he tries to find the fish that are still active. It's going to wrap up today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Boy, I enjoyed meeting all of you at ISE. It was so great. Don't forget to join us every Saturday from 9 to 11 right here on The Fan. Follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Thank you to Karen for putting this show together and making me look like I knew something, and Kyle for making it run smooth. Thank you guys We will talk to you next week on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and college basketball. Mm -hmm.